All right, good morning, everyone. Glad you're in church today. Thank you for coming out to hear the Word of God. Let's take our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Thank you for reading that passage for us this morning, John. We appreciate that. We'll be spending most of our time in the book of, of, of Second Timothy and First Timothy as we look through some of these things. I'm going to pray and ask us to help, uh, ask God to help us, help me, and then help you to hear as well. Dear Lord, we thank you for being in church this morning. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, that we do get to choose to serve you. And I pray that that would be the prayer of each of our hearts, that we would love you and serve you in spirit and in truth. And may your word and the verses we look at this morning be a help and a blessing and encouragement and possibly even a challenge. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look into in 2 Timothy, we see the Apostle Paul giving some biblical counsel to Timothy about some of the, uh, I guess, some of the pitfalls that are occurring in, in the world at that time. If you, if you read through uh, the, the whole book of Second, of Second Timothy, you'll find that. Strangely enough, the things that you read about in this book um, haven't changed throughout the ages. Even today, you will find that the things that you read there are the same today and can be applied in our lives as well. Uh, in the first two chapters, Paul deals with, with our faithfulness towards God and then also the teaching of others to be faithful as well. The topic of enduring hardness uh, and suffering for the Lord's sake is spoken about as well. And then just before we head into chapter 3, we see the admonishment to, to study God's word uh, so as to rightly divide the word of truth. And that is something that we need to adhere to today. We need to be able to... Do, to be able to understand what God says, we need to be able to uh, understand the meaning of it, the context of it, so we get the right uh, uh, truth that the Bible is, is trying to teach us. Paul then goes on to describe that within a great house, there are both vessels to honour and vessels unto dishonour. And this segues into chapter 3, where our passage was that we, that we had read for us before, where Paul describes the current church age, which we currently are living now as well. The Bible often uses the term uh, as the latter days and in the first verse of this particular passage it says, this know also that in the last days, I want you to notice this word, perilous, perilous times shall come. The last days of the latter days started at the beginning of the church age. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 mentions this and this is where we can understand why it's relevant for us today. I'll quickly just read that. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. A bit slow. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. God who at sundry times and in, in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So God has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, in the last days. Uh, that was in the Bible times and that is still true today. Christ is teaching us and God is speaking through his son. 
Verse 5 in our passage talks about, um, gives us some indication of that it's the church age. It mentions in verse 5, having, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Um, this, the idea of having a form of godliness would refer to Christians. And Paul tells, us, tells to Timothy to stay away from such people. Now the word for perilous appears twice in the New Testament, with the other word being found in Matthew 8.28. And the word describing it, 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 uh, in, in Matthew 8.28 talks about um, two demon-possessed men, and the Bible describes them as being exceeding fierce. Now that word fierce has the same meaning or connotation as the word perilous in our passage. Now in, that passage, in the passage in Matthew um, chapter 8, describes these men who were possessed by devils and they were in tombs and people would avoid going near them because they were uncontrollable. They were a dangerous man, they were fierce men and people would turn away from them because that's the meaning of what they're described as fierce, uncontrollable people to keep away from. And when the Bible describes in our passage that in the last time, times, uh, sort of last days, perilous times shall come, it's having that same sort of intense meaning, that there will be people who will be spiritually uncontrollable, people with uh, desires and passions and thoughts that we need to keep away from, that we need to turn away from. And that's why Paul in, in, in verse 5 talks about um, having a form of godliness but denying the, power of the, the, denying the power thereof from such turn away. Don't have anything to do with those people because of that, that thought of being fierce or perilous. I thought that was quite interesting when I was reading that. Now, I want you to understand that we are in the last days and the Bible describes what it will be like in the last days. And we can see from the description in our text what people will be like. And I'm just going to read through them. Interestingly enough, if you take that thought out of Matthew 8.28 where it says they were uncontrollable and people would avoid them, although we're in the last days and this list of things, we can seriously see people that are like this. If we take the degree of being out of control, I still think possibly we may have a short little time to go. This list is evident, but I think it may get worse yet, still to come. So let's just quickly read through the list from verse 2. And I've listed four groups, all starting with P. Now, this is, this is just introduction. But the first one, you'll notice that there are lovers of, there are lovers of, of our persons. The Bible says in verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And it goes on to describe uh, are people that are covetous. Now, the next one I classed into lovers of pride. The Bible says... And then there's love. they are boasters, proud, blasphemers. And then there's lovers of power, people who are disobedient uh, to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady and high-minded. Then the last group of P's is lovers of pleasure. The Bible says there will be some that are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God and then having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof 
Um, I thought there was a couple of others there, but um, but we'll leave the list there. But we can see that there are these are certainly people who you can recognise in your communities, um, in schools, in our workplaces. People who are definitely unthankful, unholy. People who are proud. We certainly see blasphemers. We certainly see people who are disobedient to parents. I take that disobedient to parents is more than just parents, but those who are in authority. If we've ever had a day where there's a lack of, of respect for authority, it's in today. You see people who have no respect for uh, the government, no respect for the law, for the police, no respect for anyone that can be over somebody. Um, there is an ever-growing increase and it's... And it's uh, uh, it's populated online. When, if you see anything posted online, people will always show when they're being pulled over by the police that they have no rights to make them stop, no rights to share their name, and it's portrayed as, as popular and good to do so, and people learn how to do that. People who are despisers of those uh, that are good. Have you ever tried to tell someone about the Lord or tried to uh, even help someone only to be rebuked by it because you're trying to do good? People are traitors. There are people who are not loyal, are people who will say one thing and then go ahead and do, and do something else behind your back, people that are high-minded, people that are, that are lovers of pleasure. There are so many things that the world offers today that will appeal to our, our flesh and then having a form of godliness, as we see in, 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 in verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. This list certainly sounds like our world, but it is a list inclusive of, of, of believers. And that, to me, is the scary thing. When I think of the last days, the church age, if Paul tells Timothy, beware of people who having a form of godliness, though to me it's, it says like there are people in, in the church who may fall into this list. And that, to me, that's very disturbing. The beliefs of some are so distorted that what was normal 50 years ago is now not acceptable. So those where, where you talked about God in public, where, where you prayed in schools, where, you, uh, uh, where you're able to do things right, now the world says those are old-fashioned old and, and not needed. And then the things that were not acceptable 50 years ago are now classed as acceptable and normal. And that's very disturbing. <coughs> And I thought about it and I thought if the Lord doesn't come back for another 50 years, what would our world and our young people be subject to and what would our churches be like? What beliefs would be in the church if the Lord doesn't tarry in 50 years' time? And uh, I've, as I was going through this, I was reminded and challenged myself that I examined my own life to walk... Of, uh, and my own walk of faith to make sure that, it's, that the list that we've just mentioned hasn't crept in unawares and I need to be careful because those things are easy to fall into because it's so common these days and if we're not careful, we can fall into the same traps. The list is so exhaustive and covers an abundance of things, it is easy to find that some of these things may be evident in our lives and I would encourage you to read through those things and see if any of those things 
you, if you were to ask yourself honestly, are any of these things part of your life now? Rest assured, if you, if you do examine yourself and you find no culprits of these things in your life, uh, be aware and be careful that they can enter in. But if you do examine yourself and you do find some things in this list a part of your life, if you're, if you're really honest and say, I am a lover of pleasure or I, or I am a very high-minded or I am a, maybe a little bit disrespectful to authorities or I am... Um, uh, Maybe I'm, I find myself very unthankful for the things that I have or whatever it is, rest assured it's not all over for you. You can make things right between you and God. There is help to untangle the web that you may have already weaved for yourself. So what I'm going to look at today is I'm going to look with that thought of the last days. I'm going to use the word the latter days. There's some, there's some thoughts found in First Timothy um, that I want to look at. We'll spend some time there. But I want, to think, I want you to think about things in, in, in the last days or latter days. The Bible describes in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's turn there firstly. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. The Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in, a, in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be, if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. The first thing I want you to understand that in the latter days, that some shall depart from the faith. There are going to be some people who will depart the faith that they have. And in this particular thought, where they depart from is their doctrine, their beliefs in God. Notice in verse 1 it talks about, it talks about some will depart from the faith then it goes on to describe what will happen. It says, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I thought about what does it mean, seducing spirits? And as I thought about it, as I contemplated on it, I thought these are, these are spirits who will appeal to our fleshly bias. Have you ever read through the Bible or been reading a passage or heard something preach? And within your, own, within your own mind, you start to rationalise things and you think, that just can't be right. I tried to think of an example and I thought, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God commanded people to go in to, into different cities and to destroy the city and to kill the people and wipe out everything. And to, my, and to my fleshly mind, or to my human mind, that sounds really odd. God's commanding someone to go in and to kill someone. Now what happens is if, if we allow our fleshly mind and our fleshly bias, we start to question whether or not these things are right or if these things are true. And if we start to listen just to our fleshly bias and our fleshly minds, we can actually distort or change 
what God has said. Or we can distort the meaning of the passage and when it comes to doctrine, we can start to change what God has said to fit what we believe. And to me, that's a seducing spirit. We see today we have so many church denominations out there with so many varying beliefs of what God has said where, where once God said, this is wrong, we have a church that says, God wouldn't believe that now or God doesn't believe that now. For example, and I don't want to get off into so many different things, but um, just give a real, a, a real easy one. For me, it's an easy thing. If God says that homosexuality is wrong, and I'm not here to pick on anyone, I just want to, I want to bring forth something. If God says that homosexuality is wrong and he's against that and he condemns that, a church that says, well, God's a love, God is a God of love, we need to accept those people in and we'll, we'll allow them to be pastors. To me, that's a no-brainer. God says it's wrong. And what happens is our, our fleshly bias looks at what God says and it's almost like we're seduced to thinking God does not mean that. And our doctrine starts to change. To me, it's very clear, it's very evident. But seducing spirits can come in and they can change our doctrine and we can actually depart from what God's trying to teach us. There are devilish doctrines. These are, are doctrines that cleverly lead us astray. There are, many, there, there are probably many uh, people in churches today who have been taught a doctrine that sounds kind of right and yeah, but it's not what God says. If we were to think about maybe like Eve, I'm back in the garden. The devil didn't say um, something completely, uh, infinitely wrong, like totally opposite of what God said. Satan used the words of God and manoeuvred it and, 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 and tricked it and changed it to where it seemed plausibly possible to the mind. Maybe God didn't really mean that. And Satan is, is a master of that. And, and, and if we're not careful, because we have such a technology age and an information age that we can get to listen to people, we can get to read people from all around the world, and some things can, can often sound pretty good, but if we're not careful, and if we don't study to show ourselves approved, it's easy to be sidetracked off onto little, uh, off onto little um, rabbit trails, and our doctrine before long can be changed. You need to know what your Bible says and not just what someone else says. Get your doctrine from the Word of God. But in this, notice that there was some outlandish outcomes. As we read through there in, in verse 2 and verse 3, speaking lies in hypocrisy, their conscience seared with a hot iron. Their understanding is now completely gone and they've actually changed what the truth of God is into something that's not right forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Their whole, uh, these people in, that, that the Bible's talking about, the doctrines changed where it said they were, that they forbid people to, um, to be married. Where God had instituted marriage, and God said that it was good. The Bible says, whosoever findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favour 
and obtaineth favour of the Lord. God's instituted that. God said it's right for man to marry. God told Adam and Eve to go and replenish the earth. It's something that God instituted and our doctrines can be what God has said, you can't do that. And then the other thought there is those of, of, of eating meat, abstaining, um, uh, to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving. Now this can be a very controversial topic and I'm not going to harbour on this. I like a steak. I've gone from well done down to medium, all right? I, I, I can't eat it rare. It's, it can't be mooing. It's got to be, it's got to be cooked. <laughs> it's got to be killed and it's got to be ready to eat. But if you don't eat meat, hey, that's fine, but it can't be, it can't be a doctrine. It can't be that a Christian can't eat meat. If you want to eat vegetables, go right ahead. I, I don't mind a good vegetable, but that's not going to be my only diet because God says I can eat it. But when we, I don't think any of our Baptist folk ever really teach that you can't. But the world, there are a lot of people in the world that, that say you shouldn't because it's an animal and it's got feelings and it's got emotions and God said we can eat it. So the Bible is very clear. The Bible says we can eat it with thanksgiving because God has, has said we can. So we need to be careful that in the latter days, which we are now in, that we don't depart from the faith. We, that our doctrine does not change. I'm saddened when, when, when I hear about a church of like faith or a pastor of like faith whose doctrine has deviated from what he once believed and now has been sidetracked. So that's the first thing. In the, la- in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith. Second thing is in the latter days, some shall deny the faith. First Timothy chapter 5. You're going to look in chapter 5 just for a couple of points. Some are very similar, but chapter 5, verse 8, some shall deny the faith. Now, this particular passage <clears throat> is talking um, about, about widows, and um, we're going to have a look at a couple of things here, but the idea is in verse 5 and verse 8, it says, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. When we, when we think of widows, we think of maybe parents or grandparents. They're part of our family. Our, our, our grandparents, our mums and dads, our children, our wives, they're part of our family. And family is important to God. Just as we are important to God as his family. The Bible says when we receive Christ as our saviour, we become part of the family of God. We become part of God's family and God sees each one of us as his children as very important. And God is committed to us and the Bible says that we are to be committed to our families. As I mentioned, the passage talks about widows and it discusses widows who are in need of church support versus those who should have family support. Verse 4 gives instructions that family should look after family. And verse 16 is very clear about this. Let's read verse 4. It says, But if any widow... Sorry, let's go to verse 3. Honour widows that are widows indeed. So these are people who, who have no family. They have no husband. They have no family support. 
Church needs to honour those. But if any widow have children or nephews, if they've got family, let them learn to show piety at home and to requite their parents. For that is good and acceptable before God. It isn't the church's responsibility if you have a, if you have a, a family member who is older and you're a part of the church. It isn't the church's responsibility to look after that, that person if, uh, if their husband has died and they have no ongoing uh, financial support. It's the family that needs to do it. That's what God says. And then in verse, uh, verse 16 it says, If any man or woman that believeth hath widows, let them relieve them and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So the Bible talks about, about widows indeed. Yes, the husband has died. There's, a, there's an age bracket it talks about, which we will mention in just a sec, and that's, that's the age of 60. If the person is over the age of 60, they have no husband and they have no family to help and support them and they're wanting to, uh, and they still want to serve the Lord and they commit themselves to the service of the Lord, then it's important for the local church to help that, that widow indeed. But the Bible is very clear that if they have family, it's the family's responsibility to relieve the church from that burden and to help financially and to help support that family member. And then we get, when we read verse 8, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own household, he's worse than an infidel. He's worse than an unbeliever. Uh, he, has, he has denied the faith. So what, what I want you to think about in this particular uh, a passage, in the latter days, there will be some who will deny their faith. Now their faith is not just their belief in Christ, but it's their, uh, it's their duty as a Christian to help their family. And there are some who won't take that on. There are some who will deny the very faith that they believe in. If you say you believe in God, you believe what God says. Put your hand up if you believe that. If you believe in God, you believe what God says in his word. So if, he's, if, if the Bible says that if you have a, an aged mum or an aged dad or, and they can't look after themselves and have no, no one to help, it is our responsibility to do our very best to do what we can to help. And we should. That's what God says. But when we don't, when we say it's not my responsibility, I've got my own life, I've got my own family, I've got my own things I want to do, I don't want to spend any time with them, it's too hard, it's too much of a burden, then God says we've denied the faith. Can you imagine that? When we won't look after family. And then it goes on to, um, it talks about, let me have a quick look, sorry. I think in this particular passage, it does talk about those who want to serve in the local church. The, the elderly who want to serve, and we do have, I'm, I'm glad we have some of the elderly in our church who are, who are actually in church, and they're faithful, and they want to serve, and they have a very important part in this local church. They shouldn't be neglected. So there are some who will deny the faith, but then as we go through to verse 12, there are some that shall discard the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 12, again, still thinking about widows. It says, um, let's verse, read verse 11, but the younger widows refuse 
For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. We're still thinking about the latter days. We're still thinking about those who, who may be widows. But there are some who, who may be in that position where their husband has died, but they haven't reached the age of 60. And uh, Paul's talking about you have some who are still at an age where they still may be active. They still may be, uh, uh, they don't have a job. So the church is supporting but it comes a time when even at an age where another gentleman, maybe in the church or in the community, catches their attention and they, were gonna, they will want to go and marry again. Paul does say it is better later on in the chapter for the, for the younger widows to marry again if they can. Not to, uh, not to live a free and easy life, but they can continue being uh, maybe mothers, they can continue being helpful in the home and there's a, there's, the passage describes what they should be like but then there's also a passage what happens when, when a widow has been looked after by the church and is committed to the church and when something comes along that, that catches their attention to take them away from the church like a marriage, they often become those who the Bible describes them as busybodies, they're gossipers and instead of serving the local church, They've found something better and that's what they spend their time in. And these, and these people are those who have discarded their faith. I want you to understand and you need to be careful that we don't allow things, there's an application that, that I find, we may be committed to the local church but what happens is something maybe shiny, something that's more exciting than church can distract us from serving in the local church. It's difficult using this passage because it's talking about, about widows and, and it, it's a very, it's a personal touchy sort of subject but some shall discard their faith, even widows, because they find something better than the local church and that's a new husband. And we need to be careful that, that we don't get distracted from our local church and find something shiny and new and that could be sport, it could be a new job, it could be a new relationship, it could be a new entertainment, a new hobby, whatever it is, we need to be careful that those things don't take us away from our local church. So some shall discard their faith. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Who reckons they can quote this without reading it? This is a very popular verse, a verse that gets misquoted all the time. I read this and I'll tell you something that I read once just, just recently. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I read... Uh, Someone posted something trying to be smart or I don't know what they were trying, but they said, they said uh, in a chat, they said, um, if money is the root of all evil, why do you got to give money to church and why does the church expect money, people to give money? They're trying to obviously stir up some trouble, but they obviously don't know what the Bible says. It's not, money's not the root of all, all evil. Um, if it is, then we'd all have to live on a little commune and eat grass or something. But we all need money to live on. 
we all need money to, to pay our mortgages or our rent. We've got to put fuel in the car. We have to eat meat um, <laughs> with Thanksgiving um, and every now and then throw in a vegetable or two. Um, we, we, we all have to live in this world. There's no, there's no getting around it. And the way to do that is we need money. Now, some have more money than others. Some have less money. Some have higher-paying jobs. Some don't have a job. But it's not money that is the problem. It's the love of money. There are some that are going to be deceived from their faith. And they have a lack of discernment. Some can be seduced by the, by the allure of great riches. And I think about Satan being the master advertiser. I think I mentioned this just recently. Satan knows exactly what to tempt people with, what job to offer you. I remember reading once um, in a biography, I think is how you pronounce it. I always get confused, autobiography and biography. It was about, I'm not sure which particular man it was, but going back in independent Baptist history, back in the States in the olden days, um, a J.B. Vick and Frank Norris in, in those days, they were kind of the, the starters of our independent Baptist movement way back in the day in, in America. And I know one of them was looking to go into ministry and he was a great preacher and, and, and he knew what he was talking about and he was praying, God, where do you want me to go? What church do you want me to be in? What, what ministry would you like, like me to be involved in? And he got several offers. Some big churches wanted him to um, I'd, I'd come and minister and uh, the, 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 um, the bigger churches were able to offer more money and they looked like great positions and, and they looked very satisfying. And then as you went through the different offers, there were some that couldn't pay very much at all. Some didn't have a lot of perks. They were just, you had to work hard. And, and he thought about it and he thought, if I take the one that's got the most sort of money, then I'm really just doing it for me. It's the prestige. It's the money. It's, it's how I can be seen in the community. And you know what he did? He chose the one that paid the least because he didn't want to be sidetracked with a package deal that would appeal to his flesh. He wasn't a lover of money. He wasn't someone who, who could be allured by great riches. And Satan knows exactly what to tempt you with to chase that mighty dollar. Now, you might say, well, I'll never do that. Be very, very careful. Because when... Uh, I remember when I was, I was 18... I, was, I got a job in Cairns. I was living in Cairns, single. I was living on my own. I was living in a shared house. And I got a job at a furniture factory. And it was full-time. And I thought, my first really good full-time job. And it was very difficult. I didn't know anything how to make... They made cane furniture. And so they had to weave the cane in and out. And there was different techniques. And, and uh, it, I think it paid $150 a week. I thought, okay, I was paying rent at a shared house. I think it might have been $50 a week, which included food and everything. So I had $100 a week left over, and I used to ride my push bike several kilometres every day to and from the job. Someone in the church was a foreman in a, in a factory, in a marble factory, and um, he came up to me one day about three weeks after having this new job. He said, Brother Paul, I want to offer you a job. 
So I'm like, I've, only just, I've just got a new job. He said, look, I pay $300 a week. <laughs> Double. You know what I did? I took the job. I took the new job. But I, maybe it was the lure of more money. I mean, it ended up being a very good move. I, I learnt a lot and it, it, it worked very well. But sometimes we need to be careful that it's not just money that we're chasing after. And I would encourage you as young people, it's not always just the biggest money is the best option for you. I can, would encourage you to pray and ask God what you should do. The Bible talks about some erring from the faith and it talks about having pierced themselves through with, with many sorrows. When we chase just money, we set ourselves on a road where God maybe never intended us to go. We'll often make choices and decisions that may not only hurt us, but our own families. There are a lot of people who, who get involved in gambling and they will lure of the money, what they can win, and they can make decisions that can hurt not only themselves financially, but their very families. I'm sure you've read of stories, I've heard of stories where people have gambled and they've lost their homes and their businesses and their livelihood due to the chase of money and they've pierced themselves through many sorrows. We need to realise that great riches aren't enough and we'll always be left unsatisfied. You've, you've always heard the person that says, who are very wealthy and... Uh, and they're always chasing more. Who'd like a million dollars? Who thinks they, uh, some people would. Well, if, if I said, look, I'm gonna get, get out my wallet, I've got a million dollars in cash, and I wanna give it away to some fortunate person. I'm sure there'd be people, wives be hitting their husband, put your hand up, put your hand up. And I guarantee if I gave you that million dollars, I said you can spend it on whatever you want. I guarantee you'll spend it, but I guarantee you'll want more. Because once you get a taste of it, once you start to have it, it's like a million dollars. If you had a million dollars, you'd think, that's all I'd ever want. I just want to be a millionaire. But you'll never stop at that. It never stays at a million dollars. You'll want more and more and more. Just look at some of the richest men in the world. You would think they'd have enough just to stop and retire and live on it. But they're in it for more. They'll keep buying more businesses and more businesses. They've already got in the billions of dollars personally to their, to their name. I guarantee you if they went on a shopping spree, they wouldn't even make a dent and just went on a whole month's shopping spree and just bought everything that they could ever see. It wouldn't even make a dent in what they're worth. And yet they're looking for more and more and more. It doesn't satisfy, even though you think it will. So there are some who will be deceived from the faith. Don't let that be you. It's easy this is one of the hardest ones to deny. And Satan knows that. So be careful that that's not you, that it's, it's, it's the biggest amount of money. Now what we should be doing is found in Jude 3. People go, where's Jude? Anyone know where Jude is? It's right toward the end. Joshua Judges, Revelation, Jude. No. <laughs> Jude 3. Don't you mean chapter 3? No, just Jude 3. 
It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This is our diligence. This is what we've got to be doing. We need to defend the faith. Contend for it. Defend it. There are too many Christians, too many churches closing. There are too many young people who are quitting. There are too many families that are leaving because of the latter days, because of the last days. Somewhere in parts of what we've looked at this morning, there, there are people who have moved, who have gone, who are not here because they've departed, been deceived, they've uh, distracted, whatever it is, they've left their faith. And what we need to do is we need to defend the faith and earnestly can contend for it. And I want to have a look at three simple passages back in 2 Timothy to close out on, on how we do this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, right back where we started. Remember I said, if, if you find yourself on the list, don't be in despair. There is some hope. There are some things that you can do to help you either get off the list or make sure that you don't enter into the list, make sure these things don't creep in unawares. Firstly, what we need to do is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. It says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. First thing you've got to understand is that you're going to have to endure, understand that, it, that it's a reality that the things to get you on that list are going to come. But you've got to endure through it. You've got to endure through the onslaught of your faith. Apostle Paul says, look, you've known what I've had to go through. You've seen it. You've seen what's happened to me. You've seen I've, I've, I've tried to serve the Lord. I've tried to honour the Lord. And yet things happen. Things have come and I've been persecuted. I've been stoned. I've been put in prison. There are things that will come in your life that you need to be aware of. But notice with me it says, um, I endured out of them all, the, but, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. God is able to help you endure what comes. So firstly, the way that you can defend your faith is just understand the temptations that the, the perilous times are here. Be aware that you're in them. You're not immune from them. Satan is not just going to leave you alone because you ask him to. He's going to keep coming day in and day out. Now, the second thing, verse 14 and 15. But even though things are waxing worse and worse, being deceived and being deceived, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The second thing is, 
encompass the teachings of what you have learned. The best place to be able to contend for the faith or defend the faith that, that you belong to is to be in church and to listen. Continue down the things which thou hast learned and been assured of and of whom thou hast learned them. Apostle Paul says, look, I've been trying to teach you, not just in word, I've lived what I want you to learn. I've shown you the things that you've got to go through. I've shown you how I've reacted when I've gone through these things. But he says, continue thou in the things that I've shown you. Understand who's shown it to you. As I've learned of God, I'm teaching you. Encompass the teachings of what you've learned. As you hear pastor teach, as you hear him uh, preach, as you see his walk, and as he leads the church, continue thou in those things. Don't be the one that, no, I don't want to be part of it. Continue in it. Encompass the teachings of what you've learned. And then thirdly, verse 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The last thing is, educate yourself in the word of God. Don't just believe it solely because you're told it. I believe you should listen and obey what, what, what the word of God says, but educate in it. Don't be just knowing point A, B, C. Do like when we're studying for a, for a message as we're getting ready to preach, read, educate, um, study, work out what words mean. It was interesting when I was going through this about that word uh, perilous, where it was found. And I saw another example of it and I thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. That actually makes more sense. It encourages me. I understand it a little bit more clearly why that verse is in there or why that word is there because it describes a greater thing than us, than us thinking what perilous is. It's a time that's uncontrollable. And when we think about the list of things that Paul said and we see these things happening, but it says, it describes it as, as something that's out of control. There are some things that are out of control, but a lot of them have still got a bit of way to go yet. But we are in the latter days. And let me encourage you to be the person who, for yourself, not for boasting or for pride, but so you can say, I've looked at it and I agree with what pastor's teaching. Because as I read it, I'm getting the same from the Spirit of God what he's telling pastor, I'm getting the same thing. And that'll help you not get distracted or, or it won't change your doctrine if you educate yourself. Friends, we're certainly in the last days and I still think things are going to get worse. Don't be one of the statistics who either get distracted or confused when new doctrines appear on the internet. Learn and know your Bible and then, and then live it out. Stay in church. Be committed just as God is committed to you. That's the truth. God's committed himself to you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. That if you would just believe in what Christ has done on the cross, he says, I will save you and I will commit that salvation unto eternity. It goes on forever. It's an eternal thing. And, and, and God says, I commit my son to you and I commit that salvation forever to you. I commit it all to you. All he says is, just be committed back. Committed back to him. Let's pray. And then we'll close and
I think we've got a, a baptism, which is good. So let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> we're thankful today for your word and let's pray that you would use the verses we've looked at um, to help us and uh, encourage us and challenge us to Lord to, to be faithful to you. Please bless, Lord, the rest of the service and the baptism now and may you be honoured and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.